WATD presents John Paul, the car doctor. All things automotive. Have questions? Call 781-837-4900. Now, here's John Paul, the car doctor. And good Sunday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor program on 95.9 WATD. My name's John Paul, the car doctor, here to help you with your car problems. And earlier that was... uh, Jesse Wilkins, uh, weather observer and uh, prognosticator. I believe that's uh, you know when you're when you're looking at the weather five days out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at, at that point, I'm just a fortune teller. A, and you're also throwing your opinion in about the weather too. You know, you you look at the weather and you go, yeah, it's it's supposed to be sunny, but it's not. So we missed that part. Right. So, I, I don't remember uh, what the sun looks like. It's been a yeah, long time here. In yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, it is. So, uh, but yeah, no, uh, great job uh, keeping us all informed, knowing what the weather's like. And, uh, you know, we, we could just look out the window, but why do that? when we, hey, have we, can, we can all be weather observers. That's right. That's yep. right. Absolutely. Well, enough, enough about the weather. Well, sort of enough about the weather. Um, I'm a member of the New England Motor Press Association, and each year we actually do something called the Official Winter Vehicle of New England, and we pick a vehicle that sort of meets the uh, wants, needs, and desires of New England motorists, and uh, we do we do that. Uh, we get together sort of in a, a secret, clandestine location. It sounds much more secretive than that, but... Um, and we get together and we kind of try to drive and compare notes on our favorite vehicles. People get together and they vote. And we come up with the our favorite vehicles and then we give out awards later in the year. Usually we try to give out the awards on the hottest day of the year. And I don't know why that tends to be that way, but it has been for the past few years in a row. Uh, but with us is a New England Motor Press member and co-founder of Car Tender and auto writer George Kennedy. George, good morning. Good morning, and I just want to say I think there's room for a lot more uh, editorialized weathermen in the world. So I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, if if anyone's going to do it, Jesse's going to do it because a lot of people don't know Jesse also has a a secret life as a po- as a very successful podcaster uh, about all things spooky. It's true. So Ooh. so he has so uh, weather uh, weather he, observer, paranormal investigator, paranormal ev- would have thought ex- ex- exactly exactly. So and, and uh, never betwixt shall the two meet. I imagine. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> well, do they do they ever meet? Do you do you ever do uh, ghost story stories or ghost stories that have to do with weather? Haven't really dealt with it no. But they say no. like uh, if there's some kind of demonic possession type stuff going on, then it could lead to. Hurricanes and stuff. Yeah, there's yeah, theories yeah. out there, but I don't really dabble too much into it. You know, I try to keep my two lives separate. Weather observer on Sundays, and then uh, the rest of the week we're doing spooky stuff. Spooky stuff. It, All it, right. It's, it's entertaining, but I don't know if it's a reliable source for uh, a forecast of I'm about to take the boat out. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I won't be. Well, <laughs> well and, and that's a good point. Uh, you know, we're we're able to get a hold of you this time of year because normally you're... you're uh, um, Living the life of Gilligan on your boat, right? Yeah, I mean, I can be reached on the boat, too. You know, it's, you know, we're sailing in, in the bay in Rhode Island. We're always within a couple, at least a mile of the, of the shore. So I don't stray too far uh, off, the, off the grid. Yeah. And, and, one, of the, and one of my um, favorite lines I've stolen from you, and I believe I may have used it the other day and didn't give you credit, and that's the road test the tech as much as you road test the car kind of thing when it talks about new yep. car technology. And, uh, That's not the tech. 
Yep, yep. So, and it makes a whole lot of sense, especially with some of these, uh, especially some of the new electric cars that uh, are very, uh, you know, it's like, well, there's no engine, so let's put all our emphasis into the technology on the dash, and that can get that can get a bit overwhelming for people. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for first and foremost, there's. I, I wonder how much of the industry is just sort of following Tesla. I mean, look, this car is obviously incredibly influential. Let's do what they're doing. There is a bit of a pushback now where people are recognizing that like too much tech is is almost distracting, gets in the way. You see how. BMW, who have had that remote-operated iDrive for years, have now added a touchscreen to it. So they're actually making it more useful. Um, but we're seeing for other brands like GMC and Chevy, they're kind of getting into more screens, fewer in-dash controls, and it's actually to the detriment of the, the overall usability. Well, years ago, and it was probably 10 years ago, maybe even a longer ago, uh, Mercedes with the S-Class got um, the reviews on the car, not through auto writers, but through consumers was terrible because of the technology in the car consumers just didn't sit down and and you know there's one consumer out of a you know thousand that sits down and reads the owner's manual if there is even is one these days but they were they you know things didn't work the way they expected it to because the cars were so complicated and, and Sort of in one way, Mercedes kind of dumbed down their cars a little bit, but um, that was one. Of, that was one of the technology uh, issues. And and you know how many people called the uh, BMW iDrive iDrive you crazy because you know it had <laughs> it had more points than the points of a compass. And you you know you toggled to the right, you toggled to one o'clock, you toggled to four o'clock, and it was it was horrible. Yeah, um, you know, the BMW is a perfect example because they introduced, like, brand ambassadors at their dealerships to introduce people how to do iDrive. I think the problem inherent in that is if you have to have an expert on hand to teach people how to do this, you know, people don't want to do one more thing. They, they want to sign on the line that is dotted and get out of the dealership. They've been there for three hours probably haggling with the business manager. They don't want to sit through a symposium on how to, to do the presets for their radio. So, you know, the, some of the best systems, you know, we can, I, I often praise, you know, the import brands like, you know, Hyundai and Kia for how easy their systems are. But frankly, the Americans have the systems down right where, you know, Dodge, for example, it's a big tablet, really, where the bottom bar is a series of easy to cycle through presets and then when you get to the radio you press down on it and you hold it and that that saves that preset you know i you get into a mazda with its you know rotary dial system and it is you want to pull your hair out because it's one thing to have to save a preset and then to jump around from presets to fm to sirius it's maddening and it's as if they never left the lab and asked somebody on the street hey can you can you use this because we think it's great but we've never asked anybody else, right? So yeah. the average person using it is a, is a far different story. Yeah, absolutely. I was driving an Infinity the other day, and uh, I was like, "This," I said, it's, "It's horrible. It's just, it was just, it was a poorly functioning infotainment screen. It was just difficult to deal with." And I will also say, kind of the the reason I brought you here today was to talk about Land Rover, but. Um, the last Land Rover I was in, come on, you got to Jaguar Land Rover. You got to do better than this. You, you, you know, yeah, this is, I mean, it's, I, it's, it's not perfect. Ahead. It's not great. Uh, there are things they could do better. At least, at the very least, they have 
all of the climate controls. And, you know, we're in the, both in a Defender, but I think if you get into a Range Rover or an Evoque or one of those, it's a little bit more complicated. But, for, you know, mercifully, all the climate controls are easy to use, and they're real hard buttons and dials. So, you know, at least from that standpoint, there's some, some semblance of, of logic. But, yeah, the overall flow and, and menu layout for, for these Jaguar Land Rover touchscreens is pretty frustrating. Yeah, it, it is a little bit. And, you know, you, you mentioned Land Rover versus Range Rover. Um, you know, in some in some lights, they're the same, but in some, they're different. Um, you know, Range Rover's sort of, what, the snobby luxury end of Land Rover? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the Range Rover Sport is like the the next level down. It's a little bit smaller. It's really about it's, every single Land Rover model can get off-road, but there are varying degrees of are they geared towards the trail, are they geared towards the road. I think the big boy Range Rover can kind of do it all. The Range Rover Sport is a bit in, in the Evoque, in the Velar, all of those lower-tier ones. They're meant for on-road use. You can take them on the trail in a pinch. The Defender is the opposite end of the spectrum. This is, it's geared for the trail. It can do it all, and then they've set it up so that it can also handle, handle on-road comfortably as well. And the the Land the Land Rover you drive that drove the Defender ninety that that is going to be in the two door version, kind of one of the coolest looking vehicles out there right now. It absolutely. I mean, I always loved two door SUVs. I had a two door Chevy Tahoe from the nineteen nineties. Out, my brother and I had a nineteen eighty seven Toyota Forerunner, which was two door. So we've always had an affinity for for two door SUVs. It's sort of it's almost the encapsulation of of getting away from it all, minimalism. And the two-door Wrangler does that. The Bronco, the Ford Bronco is back, and it does that. And this is like the Cadillac, Uber Cadillac version of that. And it's upscale, but it also just looks like it's ready to go on an adventure. Uh, yeah, I was going to say everyone likes one, but didn't didn't Range Rover come out with some two-door big SUV back 10 years ago that was a horrible disaster? Well, I, I think it was a concept that was meant to... I mean, the first Range Rover prototypes were very large two-doors, and that's where the... I believe where the Velar name came from. Was That was the name for the prototype back in the day. And two-door Range Rovers exist in the UK as right-hand drive versions, and I think that they were going for one of those big two-door, you know, autobiography, ultra-premium versions, and I don't know whatever happened to that. Maybe it was just a product of the economic downturn or something like that, depending on the timing. But I kind of forget what happened to that car, but I was I was intrigued when it came out. I find two-door SUVs unique and strange and at least entertaining. You know, when you think about these cars that people hate, like the well, the Land Rover, Range Rover Evoque convertible, let's remember that. Oh, yeah. And the Nissan yeah. Cross Cabriolet, they're weird, but at least they have character. And in a world of kind of homogenized crossovers, at least these things are different. Well, that that is true, and and it is it is good to see car companies kind of take a chance once in a while, even if it's not a success. The idea that they took a chance to build something, I think, is is pretty interesting to do that, and you know, try try it, see what happens, and either make it weird and different looking, or make it at least super functional, and it can still be it can still be weird, but you know, have it be functional. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I appreciate it even more given how you know relatively small Jaguar Land Rover is compared to some of the massive automakers out there. 
Ford is a massive automaker, but it's taking chances. It, it brought back the Bronco. It, it does the Ford GT, which is you know finally shuttering again. But at least it's taking chances. I kind of have beef with Toyota because Toyota is one of the. It it just was announced that it's the largest, I believe, the largest automaker in the world, or maybe it may have just been superseded. I think I think large, I think GM just popped up on top again. That's that's right. Well, Toyota is one of the largest automakers in the world. It it got you know beat out by GM, but they're one of the most risk averse. They won't do something unless there's a buy-in from another automaker. When you think about the Subaru BRZ and Toyota eighty six. That is just a badge-engineered car. It's the same car from two different automakers because Toyota doesn't want to take the risk. The Toyota Supra, you know, it's basically a reskinned BMW Z4 Coupe, and they don't want to take any chances on their own, and I wonder if they're losing ground because people are recognizing that from a, a halo car or aspirational car standpoint, they're just not not trying. They're, they're going for the bottom line, kind of where GM was maybe 15 years ago where they've got you know, bean counters making all of the decisions. There's not a lot of creativity. There's not a lot of innovation. And, you know, maybe that just makes its way to the rest of the, the, the portfolio of vehicles. Well, Toyota did take a chance with the CHR. It took, I mean, it took a chance, but really it was, it was, I mean, wait, that car is just, it, it's <laughs> underpowered. It, it, I mean, that car was supposed to be a Scion. And Scion, they shuttered the Scion brand. So that's why that car kind of has funky hatchback vibes to it it's one of the slowest cars on the market at least um toyota wanted it to be a little bit lively from a handling standpoint so it can corner well and the brakes are surprisingly well dialed in but it has no power and the the ergonomics are a mess i mean that car is it's it's instantly forgettable and it's you just i i'm scared that every time an automaker tries to go well let's go down market and make a subcompact suv or a sub subcompact, they're going to throw something together, realize they should have put a better effort into it, and then the replacement ends up being far, far better. I mean, this happened with the BMW X1. The first X1 was absolutely slapped together, and then by the second and third generations, they became far better vehicles. Yeah, no, really good point. Well, let's go back to the Defender 90. Um, uh, you know, you. It, I guess first off, there's a Defender 90, 110, and 130, and years ago, you know, if you owned a, a um, Land Rover from the seventies that actually had something to do with wheelbase, but today it's just sort of small, medium, and large, or medium, large, and extra large, right? It's like going to Starbucks and getting like a Grande and a Vente and a Trenta, right? They, I mean, sure, they probably equate to something, but I mean, ask anybody off the street what what, what it means, and yeah, one's twenty and one's thirty, but probably most probably people probably don't know that. Yeah, I think a lot of people might assume that these numbers equate to wheelbase, and, and in fact, they don't anymore, really, right? Right, yeah. So, so but yeah. the but the but the ninety the two door ninety is just first off it's got it's got really kind of a classic style to it um, that I think you know if you put it up against even like um, the wildest version of a, a Bronco, for instance, if you if you took like the Bronco Everglades edition and put it next to the Defender ninety. You could probably think both of those vehicles were going to go equally off road, and neither of them are really going to get stuck. Yeah, it's cool that Land Rover has one a vehicle like this again. And I, you know, I can remember covering over ten years ago the Land Rover DC one, you know, DC one hundred uh, concept, and that was supposed to portend these vehicles. And it's interesting to see how they blended 
Land Rover's modern design language with that vintage squared off Defender look. It, 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 it was a hard line to cross, and I'm sure they're going to piss off a few uh, purists with this, but I think it's better not to look at it as like, well, this is a direct successor to the the, the old school Land Rovers, and more like the Land Rover hasn't been around for, uh, the, the Defender hasn't been around for a while. Land Rover has evolved in this incredibly refined brand that still offers some off-road ability. This is a car with all the modernity of an of a Land Rover brand vehicle, but it now has a level of outdoorsiness that kind of wasn't there for a long time. And you used modernity. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a more it's a more refined vehicle. You can see if you squint, you can see the old Defender right in the proportions. But it's got, you know, a more menacing look to the front end. When you get inside, I think this is where the, the blend really happens. You've got the touchscreen, love it or hate it. You've got a fully digital instrument panel. You've got, you know, modern controls. But everything is either rubberized or is a grab handle or is a cargo tray or is a clever storage solution. I mean, this thing is, the way that the Bronco does is something similar. It's a Swiss Army knife on wheels in terms of actual usable interior space. I mean, when you think about, we were talking about Infinity before. Think about some other luxury brands who really go for a very swoopy interior and at the expense of any kind of usable cabin space. Yeah, yeah. And if you ever get really bored someday, and listeners, if you ever get really bored and you and you like um, Land Rover models, uh, look up Twisted Automotive. Um, they they're a company that takes kind of classic Land Rovers. Um, take them completely apart, and while they're putting them back together, they put a 525-horsepower LS engine under the hood. Uh, so, you know what? That's, that's great. That's one of the biggest problems with old Land Rovers is you've got these, either a diesel engine that you have to be working the transmission all the time to have them be in the right gear, or you have an anemic Rover V8. So this this way you've done away with that. Yeah, one of my, one of my co-workers, uh, and pretty amazingly did it, too. He, he imported a left-hand drive Land Rover from uh, a, a Defender from Italy, and he did it through, he went to sort of the equivalent of, you know, a, a Facebook marketplace in Italy, found a car dealer that had a dozen of these cars for sale for export, um, did it all through Google Translate, so who knows how well that worked out. But got, but but got but got the car shipped, got the got the vehicle shipped to the port of New Jersey. Went through customs. It was a little bit delayed because it was supposed to be on a it was supposed to be in a container. Um, not to you know not to say anything about Italians and timekeeping. They they missed the conta- they missed the container ship when they were bringing the vehicle there, so they had to wait. They they ended up having to uh, they made some deal to split a container with somebody who was importing a bunch of Vespas. So uh, they got the car on there. So they they actually had they actually had it finally get here. And but he you know he said to me one day, would you send uh, ten thousand dollars to somebody in Italy you've never met before to get a car that you've never seen before? And I said. Probably not, but uh, it's, uh, what, it's what, an email, an email spam yeah, scam. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing showed up, and it was in it was in about the same condition that he thought it was going to be in. It turned out turned out to be a, a good vehicle, and now he's part of that uh, you know sort of uh, noisy diesel Land Rover cult 
uh, vehicles that don't go very fast, but they can go they can go almost anywhere. So, uh, but but sort of interesting. But the idea of taking something and putting a you know five hundred foot pounds of torque, five hundred twenty five horsepower LS engine in one, and the idea of these are stupid expensive vehicles. I think I was going to say I'm looking at yeah, one right now, and it's the the, the D ninety with a Corvette engine is two hundred fifty thousand um, dollars. And 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 someone will buy one. Right, it's total buy one. I think it's important to note too the the import thing you were just talking about is you've really got to do your homework or find somebody who is like an expert at the importation of vehicles from different markets. Every once in a while, uh, you know, a state will crack down on vehicles that it thinks are being imported improperly, and there are stories about people who have thinking they purchased a, uh, you know, a Defender from the U.K. On, on, in the right way, and their vehicle got confiscated in, you know, by customs and sent to the crusher. So you, people got to be really, really careful about making sure they, they you know, dot in the T's and cross in the I's and all that stuff. Yeah. Speaking of, speaking of vehicles that get imported, didn't, didn't you write a story about the uh, Japanese mini trucks? Yeah, I don't know what what's happened with that, but basically there's a lot of the, you know, key car, K-E-I, is a, a, a segment of vehicles in Japan meant for city dwellers, meant for, supposed to keep down emissions, supposed to get, you're supposed to get a reduction in your insurance if you get one of these mini vehicles. And what's a really cool type, type segment of vehicle, because the automakers in Japan will design a vehicle that, that fits the footprint set out for that segment almost to a T. So you have these vans and trucks that are almost like a box that fit that 3D parameter. And they've been really cool island cars. If you go to Nantucket, if you go to Block Island, Martha's Vineyard, you'll find these vehicles as like delivery trucks. And they're great island vehicles. But all of a sudden, certain states up and down the eastern seaboard have been starting to crack down on it. And I, it wouldn't surprise me if it's dealer lobbies saying, you know, you got to go, you know, that's, that's why there's so many loopholes for importation. They want you mm. to go buy a vehicle stateside. So I, I haven't heard anything new with that, but I know a lot of business owners that have found this to be a very helpful vehicle, very disappointed about what's been happening. Yeah, it 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 is, and I and I think they're really. I mean, I see them mostly as advertising vehicles. I saw one that was uh, some micro brewer had one. Somebody else had a little pizza oven in the back of one of the pickup truck style ones, which was pizza was good i'll give it that so uh but uh but yeah people do kind of fun things with them and and you're right i think they're i think they're just kind of a novelty vehicle sort of thing and the idea that they're you know more than 25 years old and you're getting you know if you get one that's 26 years old you're still getting fairly modern technology in them and they can they can be fun they can be fun to drive and pretty practical Right. I was going to say, I, you know, from, from my firsthand experience on, on Block Island, I've seen these vehicles used as legitimate delivery vehicles around the island where they're, it's smaller than the other two islands off of Cape Cod and, and Rhode Island, where Nantucket and the Vineyard are larger than Block Island. Block Island is a small island, so a small delivery vehicle like this that can get things across the island quickly is a real help. And what's funny, too, is you mentioned them as promotional vehicles. You see those, too, yeah. You also see a lot of old Land Rover Defenders. As as delivery as uh, promotional vehicles and, yep. and sort of novelty parked in front of a B and B with uh, flower pots in the back of it. I'm always kind of bummed out. It's sort of like when I would go and see a you know see a Corvette parked on the street, and I'd look in the window and I'd see an automatic transmission. I'd be bummed out. Whenever I see one of these old four by fours, like you see like a 
Toyota FJ or an original 66 Bronco. I'm like, oh, that's sweet. And the second I see, like, some bed and breakfast name plaster on the side, I'm like, oh, that thing never gets used except for, you know, for weddings or whatever. Yeah, but on the other hand, they, they, they got a cool vehicle and then was they were able to write it off on their taxes. I'm looking for a partner to uh, import, like, uh, uh, 10 Changli electric cars. I think they're, like, $900 a piece. You want to go in with me? Yeah, sure. Why not? I, <laughs> what's cool? I was at the uh, Rhode Island Boat Show in Newport, and I saw somebody who was doing electric conversions on some of these key cars. Uh, so some of these the, these small vehicles, and I love that because I think that that's where the growth in the EV market needs to happen. Is not only in you know more affordable vehicles, smaller vehicles, things that are not meant to drive across country or tow ten thousand pounds or weigh ten thousand pounds, like the GMC Hummer. EV does, but yep. smaller around town vehicles that can be a real benefit to your business. Yeah, I mean, even Dave Smith down at Factory Five, who's a, who's a gas and oil guy the whole way, he did build an electric Cobra, um, and he's like, he's like, I got to tell you, the performance was crazy. Um, you know, when you put when you put a whole bunch of torque in something in a, in a body that weighs twelve hundred pounds, you have a pretty impressive car. And even though it doesn't make you know uh, you know coyote noises or ls noises when you drive it it's still it still melts the tires and it has crazy acceleration so yeah i mean it's hard to fight uh the physics of 100 percent torque at zero rpm um and i i wonder if there's more benefit too of being able to almost delay the application of full throttle uh you know for better better hooking up of the, yep. of the tires with that much well, power, right? Well, well, we're ordering. I think we're we're ordering thirty five lightning pickup trucks for work purposes at AAA, and we found out through our connections, my connections with Ford, we found out that um, you can actually, when you order the vehicle, order a way to sort of slow the throttle down a bit, just for that reason, because the Lightning's a pretty impressive truck. Uh, you 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 accelerate and the thing the thing takes off. Uh, but is that what you want service people to be driving? Right. Not only not only that, but like yeah, that that those quick launches kill your range. And if you're doing that repeatedly, you're not gonna have enough power to get through the day. And then all you need is is a couple of employees complaining about the range, and then all of a sudden it gets on the internet that oh you know doesn't have enough range to get around time. It's like well. If you're if you've got the accelerator pedal on the floor every time a light turns green, right? Then that's going to hurt it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so we're you know we we uh, we we have them on order. We're looking forward to it. We have uh, we actually ordered a couple of uh, Hyundai sedans, uh, all electric sedans for our driving school, so we can learn more about that technology. We have portable uh, level two charging that we're rolling out, so we can. You know, we can help people that run out of electricity. Although the only people I've ever talked to that run out of that have run out of electricity have done it in Hertz rentals because they try to push them a little bit too far. But uh, oh, but well, uh, yeah, I've never heard of anybody uh, pushing a rental vehicle to its limits. <laughs> no, that never that never happens. That's why you buy the insurance just for that reason. Exactly. Hey, 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 George. Hey, uh, George. Thanks for taking some time. If people want to find out more information about you, some of the things you've written, you've written recently for. Uh, for Haggerty, I think, and you've uh, Forbes and a few few other publications recently, as well as uh, you're you're still doing a lot of work with Car Gurus, right? 
That's right. So I do reviews for car gurus. Um, I do buying advice for U.S. News uh, and World Report. So you can find those articles. Uh, you know, I'll be promoting them at my Instagram account, uh, GKens101. And also uh, the publication at the Lars Anderson Auto Museum? That's right. Uh, the Lars Anderson Auto Museum, which is this awesome car museum in Brookline, Massachusetts, kind of a hidden gem out just outside Boston. Uh, we have a quarterly publication called Upshift, where we kind of celebrate all the goings-on in the museum, but also cover topics you know, about the auto industry on a more broad aspect. Sounds good. Hey, George, as always, thanks for taking a little time out of your Sunday and joining us on the Car Doctor program, and we'll have to talk to you again just before boating season. Sounds great. Take care. Or maybe, or maybe we'll talk to you while you're on the boat. Either way. You know what? I can, I'm happy to call in from the boat. I can give you a review on my 9.9 horsepower outboard motor. <laughs> there, there we go. Perfect. Hey, George, thanks a lot. Take care and enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Take care. Bye. Why don't we take a break, pay some bills. My name's John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. When we come back, uh, I'm going to do a review of the uh, of something I was talking about, the Land Rover uh, Defender 130, a great big Land Rover. So we'll talk about that when we come back. Also, I have a pre-recorded interview uh, with Ted Ryan. He is the Ford automotive historian, really interesting guy with an interesting job. And uh, it's somebody's birthday. It's the Ford F-150 their 75th birthday so we'll talk about that when we come back you're listening to the car doctor program on 95.9 watd we'll be right back no one wants to be left out in the cold with AAA, you won't be their experienced technicians will be there fast to help with your dead battery unexpected breakdown frozen locks or any car issue that comes with winter weather they're trained to fix most problems on the spot often without the need for a tow and you're covered in any car you're driving or riding in 24-7. Join AAA today at aaa.com slash join. Quirk Kia Marshfield, offering the same great customer sales and service you expect from a Quirk dealership. Go in, browse their well-stocked lot, and drive home in a brand new Kia, like the 2023 Kia Forte or the 2023 Kia Sportage. And the Quirk service department will be available to you for the lifetime of your vehicle. Quirk Kia Marshfield works for you. Quirk Kia, 923 Plain Street, Marshfield. Just off Route 3 at the new exit 27. Visit QuirkKiaMarshfield.com. South Shore Hockey fans, please join us every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. for the Ted Donato Show, Ted Talks Hockey, on 95.9 WATD, sponsored by the Caskin Flagon. Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the Car Doctor, on 95.9 WATD. Now, back to the Car Doctor. And welcome back to the Car Doctor program on 95.9 WATD. I want to thank George Kennedy for joining us this morning. And uh, he's he's an interesting guy. Very uh, what, Jesse, what was the fancy word he threw out there? There was a fancy word? Yeah, he, he said something that. Oh. No idea what it meant. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. He's he's got to he's got to uh, he's got to keep uh, keep his vocabulary to like uh, the fifth grade level because you know I get confused after that. So. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No. Even if I did hear it, I wouldn't be able to 
say it back, you know, I'm not, I'm not that uh, fancy. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but I want to talk about the Land Rover Defender. There are plenty of uh, luxury SUVs on the road today, but not many can accommodate up to eight passengers and handle off-road travel. The Land Rover Defender is one of the few that can do both. The Defender comes in three versions. Uh, what did George What did George re- relate them to Starbucks coffee, Vente, and something grande and something else? Again, too complicated for me. Coffee should come in regular size, large, and extra large. Not Especially since grande translates to large anyways, but it's not yeah, large yeah. at Starbucks, but we don't have to get into that conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's too confusing for me. So anyway, it comes in three different versions. I'm going to call them medium, large, and extra large. So the Defender 90 is kind of the medium. Defender 110, which is a little bit larger than that. The Defender 130, which is what I drove, which is the extra large version, or the grande, or... Vente, I don't know, whatever, whatever he was talking about, uh, which could carry up to eight people as well as some cargo. I didn't uh, try putting that many adults in the vehicle. I suspect it would be a little bit cozy. Um, at just over 17 and a half feet long, the uh, Defender 130 is an imposing vehicle that uh, garners attention and comes with a choice of two engines, a plug-in hybrid capable of uh, 32 miles on electric power or a mild hybrid, which is the one that I drove, uh, which is uh, mild hybrid it means it just really shuts off when you come to a stop. But it's a three-liter, six-cylinder. It makes a pretty impressive, almost 400 horsepower and uh, equally impressive 406 foot-pounds of torque. That translates into a vehicle that can tow up to 8,200 pounds when properly equipped and can actually hustle to, and I didn't time this, I read it on the website, hustle to 60 miles an hour in about seven and a half seconds. That's pretty good time. You might say, oh, zero to 60 in seven and a half seconds. That's not fast. This thing weighs 5,570 pounds. So pretty pretty heavyweight vehicle able to go to 60 miles an hour in seven and a half seconds it's pretty impressive the interior of our land rover was nicely equipped with plenty of bins cup holders cubbies large infotainment display and a combination of knobs and buttons as with any or many of the vehicles produced by jaguar land rover i found the i found the infotainment system distracting and a little frustrating to use and to offset my annoyance i did find the voice command system worked pretty well i could tell it to change stations adjust climate control and it all it all worked well without any real training to my i don't know south of boston ish accent whatever kind of accent i have it just seemed to be okay so uh but it worked really well the transmission shifter was kind of an electromechanical setup uh so you have to like push a. it's not like real mechanical where you feel it go into gear you sort of it has a shifter which is better than buttons i suppose um but you have to sort of hold this thing and put it in gear i found myself not always you know shifting into drive after i put it reverse to go forward it just took a little bit of getting used to it was different as all i can say handling and braking were actually outstanding the brakes seemed more than capable of stopping this nearly three-ton vehicle in a panic stop uh air suspension made this handling of this large vehicle surprisingly good even on quick turns the defender stayed relatively flat although i use this vehicle primarily for urban duty it has uh very respectable off-road capability. The all-wheel drive management system has settings for just about any terrain imaginable. And uh, the Defender can actually travel through up to 35 inches of water, has 11 and a half inches of ride height. 
Under normal conditions, the Defender sits at around 8.5 inches of ground clearance. So it comes, you know, it's pretty easy to get out of. It also has a setting to raise and lower the vehicle for loading cargo. During my time with it, I made one trip to uh, the Home Improvement Center and loaded up a bunch of stuff. And it was kind of nice to lower the back just a little bit to make uh, loading stuff in it a little bit easier. Uh, the seats were quite comfortable. Even the second and third row uh, was pretty comfortable. Although getting into the third row, which I did do, um, because I always try to get in every seat in every car just to see what it's like, did require a bit of gymnastics, and uh, I guess I'm just not as flexible as it used to be. I, I found it a little weird that the uh, back row seats, uh, and actually the back rows of seats were manually folding and i you know this this land rover um defender 130 had a price tag of ninety three thousand dollars i kind of expected to see power folding seats um with the seats second uh third row folded there's about 76 cubic feet of cargo space pretty good uh the seats don't fold completely flat which can make loading uh heavier items maybe a two-person job somebody inside you know are you really going to you know put big heavy things on the back of this i don't know i um maybe maybe for some people they might the land rover defender 130 is not for everyone it's large size makes it a little bit uh, difficult to park and maneuver in uh ordinary daily driving however if you need to carry more than five passengers tow a heavy boat horse or camping trailer this may be a good choice and if the paved roads are only a suggestion for you give the land rover 130 a look it is uh it's a it's a pretty phenomenal vehicle uh you know a couple little couple little nits to pick with it but uh but other than that pretty solid vehicle all the way around so if uh, that's in your budget automatic go. vehicle oh yeah have you have you so it has that like automatic shutoff thing when you pull up to a red light right you mentioned oh, yeah. that yeah have you driven a standard vehicle that has that feature before yes i have it's been a long time because there's not that many stick shift vehicles anymore correct well so i was in greece uh last summer and everything is stick shift out there and I borrowed the my father-in-law's vehicle to drive around and just go find a different beach every day. And I can drive standard. Um, it had been a few years, but I can. And um, I'm driving this thing, and I, I thought I thought I was stalling. Like I thought I was just doing a terrible job every. I'm like, I'm like I stalled again every single. Ride. Like, I didn't realize it had that feature where it, it's a hybrid, so it was like a little Prius or a to- um, uh, yeah, I think it was a Prius or something like that. But it was a little tiny thing absolutely no power to it it was actually diesel and uh oh man i I thought i was just the worst driver of all time i just got like i keep stalling out i don't know and then eventually i figured out i'm like oh this thing is just shutting off because it's a hybrid i didn't know there was a feature yeah now when when that happened did you actually shut it off and physically restart it or did you finally figure out when you took your foot off the clutch it actually would start back it took me a few red lights to realize i wasn't doing anything wrong yeah so i also almost killed my whole family uh while driving not just out of anger but uh (laughs) <laughs> there's a lot of uh, unpaved road. This car just had no power. So, like, we were going, trying to find this beach. We're following the GPS, and we're driving down what is basically a mountain with dirt road and no guardrail because grease. And it's just on the other side of this cliff is death. And, I, and I'm, I'm driving down. I'm like, I can get down this hill, but I'm like, I don't know if this vehicle has the power to get back up when we get down there. And I, unfortunately, was correct. 
And about halfway down, I'm like, I got to bail on this operation. I'm like, we got to go to a different beach. So I, I try to three-point turn this thing. It keeps stalling out or shutting off. And this is before I had learned that it was automatically shutting off every time I stopped the vehicle. I, it was horrifying. I actually had to get the family out of the vehicle because I would stall and roll closer to, to the edge of this cliff where we were going to plummet to our death. So I'm like, all right. If I fall off this cliff, I'm not taking the whole family with me. I'm like, you guys get out of the car. <laughs> I'm going to try to – I just kept rolling closer to the edge there. And uh, eventually, I just put the thing in park and waited for another vehicle to come down. And then these two guys, I, I just flagged them down. I'm like, dude, I can't do this. Can you guys drive this thing to the top? And these guys were – you know, they, they had been driving standard because they're in Greece. And eventually, one of them did. But he stalled out a few times while driving up as well. He's like, this vehicle can't handle this road. I'm like, okay, so it's not just me. I'm not crazy. <laughs> But yeah, that was my uh, near-death experience in Greece. There, there you go, and it's amazing. I was out in uh, Utah, I don't know, ten years ago, and uh, I was up in some road that was, you know, I don't know, ten thousand feet above sea level or something. And it's like we're up ten thousand feet above sea level, not a guardrail to be found. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why? Why? We're I guess because if you, you know, if you're gonna go off the road and you're gonna fall a mile. Um, I guess the guardrail really isn't going to help that much. It might have, though. <laughs> it, might, it might have kept me on the road. What's funny My, about that, that vehicle is like, okay, so obviously I, I struggled with it. And I eventually got the hang of it, but I just I chose not to drive down any um, terrifying mountains after that. But of all the mountains, so my father-in-law, he's he's obviously been driving out there for a while. He knows what he's doing. This guy, he, he can drive. And we we went to, there's a restaurant halfway, like halfway up Mount Olympus in Greece. And he takes the same vehicle and is just doing just fine, first gear the whole time. Just just cruises up this mountain to take us to this gorgeous restaurant on on Mount Olympus. And I was like, all right, I guess the car can handle some of it. But that road was paved. The one I was on wasn't. So I don't know. And and Hercules was at the top of Mount Olympus. He was, yeah, yeah. yeah, nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. He, was our, he was our waiter. Yeah. Hey, um, do we have time to listen to the Ted Ryan interview? Yeah, we can do it. Yeah, uh, I got the chance to sit down with uh, Ted Ryan this week. Ted Ryan is a is the Ford Automotive historian, and it's also for the F Series um, birthday, and um, I, and also got some insight into the uh, into the Ford Heritage website. Where if you have an old Ford vehicle, or just like. Um, looking at some of the old brochures and stuff, they're all available. You can download all of them for free at the Ford Heritage site. So uh, let's see what uh, Ted Ryan has to say. With us is uh, Ted Ryan. He is the, uh, I don't know, you have one of the best jobs at Ford, I think, is uh, Heritage and Archive Manager. Uh, Ted, thanks for joining us on the card program. And it's the 75th anniversary of the Ford uh, F-Series trucks. Uh, pretty, pretty exciting times. It is. I have the best job. I want the pressure that comes with Farley. So <laughs> mine, mine. I just get to tell fun stories. I don't have the pressure. Yeah, F-Series turned uh, 75 on January the 16th. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, too, because Ford sold millions of trucks before the F-Series uh, pickup truck. We had the Model T, the Model TT, the Model A pickup. But the F-Series, we designed, we made a brand. We made an F1, F2, F3 and it, that you see today as a 150, 250, all the way up to the 750 Super Duty now. And that was by intent. And that was what set F-Series apart was that we're going to have a truck for you, whether you want just a, a light duty, medium duty, or heavy duty truck. Uh, and American Honda made it the best-selling vehicle and the best-selling truck for four decades now. 
And I was looking at Heritage Vault, and I want to talk about that a little bit, a lot of cool stuff on that. Kind of went back 75 years of the original F-Series uh, sales brochure, and looking at, you know, how uh, even then uh, it was marketed as tough truck, but yet a dry truck. Uh, I, I the stuff about, you know, if you need more headroom, if you need more power, it had some great accessories that uh could come with the truck. Um, it seems like right from the beginning, seven years ago, um, fully focused on their customer, really, who's who's going to buy these trucks? I love, there's one line from first brochure in the first press release that describes living room comfort in the cab. Uh, and they, they were designed and marketed mainly initially for rural populations, the farmers, the ranchers the uh the ford had always been called the farmer's friend because they took the model t's and modified them for the farm so the the f-series is about the same way and then to me the the big shift with them when they when the trucks became the trucks was the extended cab so now you put your family in that's 74 and then that's also the time when america changed you see the big boxes home depot and lowe's founded we we become a do-it-yourself nation and you could take your pickup truck camping or you could take it to the game or you could take it to the big box, get the two by fours to help your kids build a, a tree house. I mean, it became the truck that you could use to do almost anything. Well, that's a really good point, because I remember, you know, back when when, you know, people were station wagons and it was sort of put a four by eight sheet of plywood in the Bantry Squire wagon. That was so, that was sort of the uh, you judged a big wagon by. And you're right. As you looked at trucks and ended cab with just a little bit of room behind it or a full-size uh back seat and really thought about that but that really is the big change in trucks that went from more utilitarian to um vehicle a vehicle that you would take out to dollars to the home improvement store and pick up you know three sheets of sheetrock or something the the truck team and the artists uh just before COVID, and they were trying to really do a deep dive on the understanding of what the trucks were. And we traced the in society, what was happening at the same time. And it's fascinating. And look today. Today you have the Lightning. You have the Battery Electric. You have the Pro Power Pack. You have all the different upgrades that are being made to the truck. I see them, their vehicles still, but but at the same time, they're almost becoming more workmanlike. And uh, But but at the same time, pulling a trailer, it's pulling your home behind you, you know, that you can tipping. So uh, they, Ford is building a truck for you. And I, I, I always go back to the state built Ford tub. Whenever you see and you had that middle image of the stamp, you know that a uh, quality truck is being built once every 52 seconds at the Rouge. Uh, every yeah, I I had the opportunity to go through those once, and I was amazed when trucks get built and how they are. And and you're right, you have it printed now with both the F series and the Ranger and the Maverick, which you know is just the the Maverick is just this kind of crazy slow. And everyone I talked to, a, a local electrician I was recently, or somebody who just bought a uh, because they were looking for a, that could be useful for some other things um that's a that people are just crazy our engineers understand the customers and and just what you described the the maverick for the entry level the ranger uh, a little bit nicer and then up to the f-series and and now with the with the battery electric you know uh we are continuing to produce you mentioned the vault earlier i've got to give a, a quick plug i think i talked to you last june about the vault and when the site was going down and 
the the traffic has just been tremendous, John. We're we're averaging on an average uh, Thursday in November. I looked three thousand down, almost five thousand people in the site. That's six months after launch. You know, people are finding the content that they want. One hundred sixty-seven countries around the world have visited the site, and we just beefed it up with all this great F series stuff. Uh, Four hundred brochure, three hundred fifty photos now. It really, it really is amazing to be able to look back and and to be able to. You know, you would have to go on eBay or swap meets to find some of these vintage brochures. And and what about the vintage brochures? They really do a story of how they've changed historically. And you, you're right. You could tie them into certain times. You you look in the mid '50s, which is completely different than the mid '60s, completely different than today, and how the the vehicles are produced. Which uh, to my wife's chagrin, I time there sometimes. So. <laughs> That one of my favorite days at work was when somebody sent me a review. Top Gear, the famous British yep. show, and yeah, uh, Top Gear did a review of the vault. I didn't even know it was coming, and they said, "If you want to lose all productivity for an afternoon, visit Ford's Heritage Vault, and you're shot." Uh, and cool stuff in there. The brochures from the '60s, where you see air conditioning as an option, you know, and uh, from the '50s, some of the crazy seats, and you know, it's the fun, the colors. John, you can go find every car color that Ford has produced uh, via these brochures. And, you know, I, I find myself lost in it. I'll download a, a download the other day, a taxi cab brochure from 1958. And why was Ford making taxi cab brochures? Well, because we were making a lot of taxi cabs. It's a fun place to go. Yeah, it really is. So 75th anniversary of the, of the Ford F-Series, uh, there's got to be a cake somewhere that's handles on it. So. It, uh, we actually the the at the vault we came up with a special logo. Uh, the for the seventy fifth is out there, and I remind everybody they can go order the seventy fifth Heritage Edition uh, with the ABA the, the uh, Tommy Two Tone color pattern. Uh, you can get blue or red or black and silver, a couple of them. Uh, I think that seventy fifth anniversary that's the cake. Getting one of those, absolutely. And if people want more about the Heritage Vault, how do they find it? They go to FordHeritageVault.com, and uh, we're adding new content every single day. Uh, got a couple of surprises at my sleeve this year, and it's Ford's 120th on June 16th. So uh, get ready. We're going to have a big reveal then with, with a different type of content that I think uh, think we're going to break the Internet again. There you go. Ted, thanks for taking all the time out of you just on the Car Doctor program. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. No one wants to be left out in the cold with AAA. You won't be. Their experienced technicians will be there fast to help with your dead battery, unexpected breakdown, frozen locks, or any car issue that comes with winter weather. They're trained to fix most problems on the spot, often without the need for a tow. And you're covered in any car you're driving or riding in, 24-7. Join AAA today at aaa.com join. You make it big in motorsports, but the real reward for most is the thrill of the adrenaline and the chance to hold the checkered flag. I'm Miles Heger. The excitement and danger of motor racing are the reasons drivers love to race and why fans show up. Join me and my guests each week as we discuss the local short tracks while also sharing opinions and insight on NASCAR's National Series. Tune in to Miles on Motorsports Tuesday nights at 7 here on 95.9 WATD. Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the Car Doctor, on 95.9 WATD. Now, back to the Car Doctor. 
And welcome back to the Car Doctor Program. And speaking of websites, today is, uh, this weekend actually, uh, is the virtual travel uh, fair at AAA, the travel marketplace. So go to AAA.com and you can and you click on the travel marketplace banner and you can find out about some of the deals out there. You can, there's uh, the the vendors that we work with always try to come up with special packages for this time of year. And uh, so go to AAA.com and you can check out the travel marketplace stuff and see what's out there. Um, one of the first radio programs um, I ever did was uh, from uh, Gillette Stadium at Travel Marketplace. That was kind of fun. But after COVID happened, we stopped ha- we stopped having the uh, the in person events. But it would be uh, it would be if we do those again. This this would be kind of a fun time to go to Gillette Stadium and uh, broadcast live from there. You used to do the Car Doctor program on WATD from Gillette Stadium. Uh, a couple of the emails that came in this week. A couple of a couple of interesting ones. Um, Somebody uh, in 2001, they bought a 2018 Lexus RX350. It only had 20,000 miles on it. They're having problems with the automatic windshield wipers. Uh, They're supposed to turn on the rain without having to turn on the switch to make them work. They sometimes work. Other times they don't. The windshield was replaced with an aftermarket windshield. On their first regular maintenance visit here in North Carolina, or I guess they split their time between North Carolina and New York, uh, they asked to have it looked at. They said it's not part of the regular maintenance, but they'd have the dealership check it. Uh, they didn't tell them the cause of the problem. They live in North Carolina and New York, and the car was purchased in a New York dealership 100 miles away. The, the past summer, they visited a local Lexus dealership in New York and was told about the windshield replacement. Is there any way to fix the problem without replacing the windshield? Um, you know, it's it's pretty easy, I guess, to blame the aftermarket windshield as a problem with why the intermittent wipers don't work. But today, just about every replacement windshield is an after, is aftermarket glass. I mean, you go to any of the big glass companies, you're pretty much getting aftermarket glass with a few exceptions. Maybe it's some special order thing or whatever, but... Um, in my experience, um, if it's an intermittent issue, it's usually the rain sensor located behind the windshield. So sometimes it can be the windshield, absolutely. Our buddy Paul in Braintree uh, had a windshield put in his Mazda. His intermittent wipers didn't work. They ended up putting the factory glass in it to solve the problem. But a lot of times when it works one day and doesn't work another day, and it has to do with the way the windshields, if it's not shaded correctly, that can be part of it. But in some cases, it's a sensor. I would look at the, there's very specific testing for the sensor to see if it's working okay, and then kind of go from there. Um, The other one I thought was kind of an interesting, oddly simple, but oddly complicated question Uh, Somebody owns a 2017 Mazda 6 GT version. They're very happy with the car. They like it a lot. However, it doesn't have a trunk light. And for some reason, this has become a problem for them. Uh, I don't know how long they've owned this. Uh, The owner's manual indicates where the light is placed and how to change the bulb. So on a recent visit to the dealership, they inquired about it. And they were told the car didn't come with a trunk light which seems crazy, but I'm wondering if one can be installed. The dealer had no solution, but I wonder if you might. Any guidance is appreciated. And it's kind of funny. I checked the owner's manual and the shop manual, and I don't see any mention that the cargo light or trunk light was an option in 2017. It looks like every single one of them came with one. Um, The uh, cargo room light, which sometimes is what it's called, is turned on by the rear body control module. So just when you think it's going to be nice and simple, it's not. 
it's controlled by a module that turns on other courtesy lights and other stuff. So um, I guess if this was my car, I guess the first thing I would do is crawl in the back of the trunk and look up and see whether they actually just kind of forgot to put the light in. You know, is the wiring there? But whosever job it was to install the light just never hooked it up. It's possible. Um, but if there's no wiring in place, probably the the easiest thing you could do would be to add a tilt switch and a lamp. So the way hood lights and trunk lights used to be, um, and they probably used mercury switches back then, real mercury in them. Uh, you would you would uh, you would open up the hood or open up the trunk, and the mercury would make the connection and it would turn a light on. So could you do that? as a simple way to get a trunk light in the back of this um, Mazda? I suppose you could. And all you have to do is have to, you know, run 12-volt power to the trunk, and there's probably something back there that's powered all the time uh, that you could tap into without causing any problems, and then run a simple kind of one-wire connection. So the these lamps usually ground to the body, so there's the other half of the circuit, open up the trunk, the the tilt switch turns the lamp on, close the trunk, the light shuts off, nice and simple. Or I suppose if you wanted to go even simpler, you could get one of those battery-powered lights that people put in closets. You see them on, you know, late-night infomercials. Uh, so they're motion lights that run on batteries, and, they're, and now they're LEDs, so they don't take a whole lot of electricity to make them work. So that might be something, a way to do it. Hey, that music means we need to go. Uh, we're just about out of time. I want to thank... Uh, our buddy George Kennedy for helping us out today, and of course Ted Ryan from Ford Motor Company, and uh, Jesse Wilkins, executive producer of the Car Doctor program. Jesse, thanks for a great job. Thank you. And until next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, be good to your car, and if you see an emergency vehicle by the side of the road, yellow lights, blue lights, red lights, slow down or move over. It saves lives. Talk to you all next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.